on air for the New Hampshire and Toledo NASCAR Race Review, uh, along with our Hot Topic Sound Off at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, We've got a big show lined up for you tonight. We're going to have a full hour of Hot Topics tonight, starting at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So uh, if you don't have that marked, uh, you want to set a little reminder that at 9.30, Hot Topics will begin tonight with our Fan for Racing crew. Then uh, in our first half hour tonight, though, we are going to review the Arkham and Art Series doubleheader that took place in Toledo this weekend at Toledo Speedway. And then, of course, the NASCAR Cup Series uh, raced at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. We'll talk about that race and review that race all during the first half hour. Then uh, our guest comes on board at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, Joe Graff, Jr. from SS Greenlight Racing. And uh, uh, from SS Greenlight Racing. And uh, we will talk with him uh, at that time and uh, talk with him about uh, the break for the Xfinity Series and some other topics. So uh, definitely stay tuned for that during the the, uh, second half hour of our show. Once we finish with our interview with uh, uh, Joe Graff, Jr., we will uh, also give a few updates uh, from some of the series that did not race this weekend, including the Xfinity and the uh, Truck Series race. And uh, all of that... Uh, We'll close up then at the 9.30 time frame so that we can start our Hot Topic Sound Off with our Fan for Racing crew, as I mentioned earlier, at 9.30. So there'll be a full live hour of Hot Topics tonight, and I'm sure we have plenty to talk about with the Fan for Racing crew at that time. Now, uh, just to let you know... um, Okay, just to let you know, uh, Jay Huseman is going to be joining us tonight. Uh, we're going to give him a few minutes here uh, to get on board and uh, uh, work with us throughout the uh, show here tonight. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get started with the ARCA race review uh, from the double header this weekend at Toledo Speedway. Uh, Sam Mayer had not had a win in the Arkham Menard Series yet. And this weekend at the doubleheader in Toledo Speedway, he had two victories uh, for the weekend. So he won the uh, Arkham Menard Series, the Menards.com 200 on Friday. And then the race that was supposed to take place on Saturday ended up uh, being rain-delayed and took place on Sunday instead, and he won the Menards 200 on Saturday, I mean Sunday. So uh, it was a big, big weekend for uh, Sam Mayer this weekend winning at Toledo Speedway. So not only on Friday, not only did he win his first race uh, in the Arkham Menards Series, but he also won his first Sioux Chief Showdown event, uh, which that was at Toledo Speedway. Both of the races were Sioux Chief Showdown events, and Sam Mayer won his first and second in both the Arkham Menard Series and the Sioux Chief Showdown. 
So a pretty big weekend for 17-year-old Sam Mayer from Franklin, Wisconsin. Uh, In the first race, he gave a pretty dominating performance. Uh, On Friday, he led the last 97 laps before crossing the finish line, and he finished 1.607 seconds ahead of Ty Gibbs, who has been on a string of wins. Uh, Ty has three wins this season, uh, most recently at Iowa Speedway. So uh, it was a pretty big deal for Sam Mayer to beat him at the finish line uh, in such a commanding way. So that was a pretty good deal. Uh, Now, just uh, to kind of give an idea of the rest of that race and how how these guys finished out in the ArkhamMenards.com, 200. Uh, Ty Gibbs finished in second place. Then it was Taylor Gray uh, finishing in third place for David Gilliland's team. Uh, then Brett Holmes, who won the previous race, uh, won, came in in fourth place in his Chevrolet. Michael Self, the points leader, finished in fifth place, rounding out the top five. Uh, Michael Self, of course, is with Venturini Motorsports. The next five were Drew Dollar, Derek Griffith, Haley Deegan, Tim Richmond, and Rick Clifton rounding out the top ten. So uh, some new names in the top ten finishers there. Chandler Smith, who a lot of people expected to come in and win, uh, he was the latest winner at uh, Toledo Speedway. Uh, He came in 11th. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit more. He had some suspension problems, which accounts for why uh, he did not win that race. And we'll talk a little bit more about where he stands as it relates to the Sioux Chief Showdown uh, point standings. But I also want to talk about the Menards.com 200 results. Uh, and, uh, you know, Sam Mayer last year won the ARCA East Championship, and throughout the year, he was the youngest national regional touring series or even an international uh, touring series champion in NASCAR history. He didn't slow down this year. He won both the ARCA East and the ARCA West season openers this year, and uh, in 15 previous starts in the ARCA Menard Series, Mayer made it to the podium eight times he had three runner-up finishes and his sweep this weekend now makes him a winner in all three of the Arkham Arts series uh, events or series so that's uh, a pretty big deal as well so uh, uh, again just a really big weekend for uh, Sam Mayer I'm sure he uh, enjoyed uh, winning both of those races Ty Gibbs was the pole sitter uh, pacing the field for the first 100 laps of that second event on Sunday. Mayer started in third place, and Chandler Smith, uh, as we mentioned earlier, the Sioux Chief Showdown points leader, led briefly after starting in second place. After a brief caution for rain on lap 103, the car stayed on track to keep the track dry, but they went back to green on lap 117. Now, on the restart, Meyer took to his number 21 Chevrolet to the lead, and three laps later, Joe uh, Ty Gibbs spun in the fourth turn trying to take the lead, 
but instead he brought out the caution. So uh, more rain came shortly thereafter, forcing the officials to end the race and giving Sam Mayer a sweep at Toledo Speedway this weekend. So, uh, uh, again, a really big night for Sam Mayer. Uh, He uh, won both races in the doubleheader at Toledo Speedway. Uh, And real quick, I want to go over the point standings. Uh, for the Arkham Menard Series after Sam Mayer's uh, double victory at Toledo. Michael Self still leads by just seven points over Brett Holmes in second place. Drew Dollar is in third. He's 40 points down. Uh, In fourth place is Haley Deegan, 44 points down. So there's a little bit of a contest going on there for third place. Thad Moffitt rounds out the top five. Uh, 72 points out. Now, uh, the next five drivers that I'm going to cover here uh, have um, have not necessarily raced all 10 races. So uh, in sixth place is Ty Gibbs with seven races under his belt. Sam Mayer, seven races in seventh place. Chandler Smith with six races is in eighth place. Ryan Huff with seven races in ninth place, and Brad Smith rounds out the top ten with nine races under his belt. So uh, the big contest is really among those top five drivers, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that continues to play out. Now joining me is our co-host for tonight, Jay Huseman. And Jay, thank you so much for being available at the last minute here. Oh, not a problem. Uh, glad I could help out and uh, jump in here as needed. So uh, try and catch up here. I'm getting all the uh, the pages pulled up on my computer here, so I'll be with you in just a minute. Okay. Well, I just finished going over the Arkham and Art Series point standings. What I'll do while you're pulling that up is I'll cover the Sioux Chiefs showdown point standings, and then we'll get into the Cup Series review. Okay? Oh. All right. Uh, in the uh, Arca Sioux Chief Showdown, I mentioned earlier, Chandler, Stip, <laughs> Chandler Smith maintains the series points lead at 201 points. Michael Self is second at 195 points. Now, again, there's a tight race here between second and third. Sam Mayer uh, is at 194 points, just one point behind Michael Self. And Ty Gibbs is in fourth place at 189 points. Very, very tight. Brett Holmes, again, very tight, just 188 points in fifth place. So that's where the real battle is going on here. Um, I'll cover the other drivers that have uh, five races under their belt. Haley Deegan is in sixth at 178 points. Thad Moffitt, 167 points in seventh. Drew Dollar is 160 points in eighth place. Taylor Gray, with only four races, uh, is in ninth place. And Tim Richmond, uh, with five races, is in tenth place. So there you have it for the Sioux Chiefs Showdown uh, Series Point Standings. Now, that was uh, the race this weekend was the, um, uh, I want to say, the I'm not sure right now. Let me see if I can find my notes on this. Um, it, it was it the was the fourth round. of the Sioux Chief Showdown race, I believe. 
Actually, it was the fourth and fifth round of the Sioux Chief well, Showdown okay, yeah. because there, there, there were two races. Yeah, so so that, uh, again, was uh, really cool to see Sam Mayer have such a big weekend. And keep in mind that Darker Menard Series now heads to Michigan Speedway for the Viscom 200. That race will take place on Sunday, August the 9th. Now, the next Sioux Chief Showdown race is on Friday, August the 14th at the Daytona Road Course Event so uh, two big races coming up here for the Arkham and Art Series. Well, and we talked about this on the preview show on Thursday, going into a weekend like this, uh, especially for somebody like Sam Mayer. And I know I picked him. I said I really thought it was going to be about five different people you could pick from, but Sam Mayer to come out and win both of them, uh, very impressive and just a huge momentum swing for him. Yes, it is. It is. And uh, I can't wait to see what these next couple of races uh, bring in this Arkham Menard series. It's been fun to watch them up to this point, and I'm sure they will not disappoint in the upcoming races as well. Uh, we're a little early here. I'm going to go ahead and get started. Uh, so I'm hoping we have time to kind of go over our fantasy uh, results from the weekend as well. Uh, but let's go ahead and get started on the uh, Cup Series race that took place at uh, New Hampshire Motor Speedway. I really thought this was one of the better races uh, at New Hampshire that we've seen in quite a long time. I don't know if you had a chance to see it or not, Jay. I had not watched the whole race. I did get to watch some of the highlights and a part of it. And I know talking about it, I was listening to SiriusXM today. They definitely, as a whole, everybody felt like it was one of the more competitive races uh, that we've seen as far as lead changes, leaders, and overall passing uh, that we've seen at New Hampshire. Yes, indeed. Now, Brad Keselowski was the winner at age 36, and there's number two, Western Star All-Alliance Parts Board. Uh, Of course, that's with Team Penske with his crew chief, Jeremy Bullens. Uh, It was his 33rd victory in 397 NASCAR Cup Series starts. It's his third victory and 15th top 10 finish this year. It's also his second victory and 13th top 10 finish in 20 starts at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Uh, It was a battle with Denny Hamlin, who finished second place in his 16th top 10 finish in 27 races at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. He was the defending winner. So actually, yeah, he was the defending winner. It is his 12th top 10 finish in 2020. Now, Martin Truex Jr. finished third, posting his 13th top 10 finish in 27 races at New Hampshire. And Cole Custer finished eighth. He was the highest finishing rookie of the race. Now, Team Penske's seventh, it was Team Penske's seventh. NASCAR Cup Series victory at New Hampshire Motor Speedway, and this is the 16th NASCAR Cup Series victory for Ford at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. So some interesting stats there coming out of the uh, Foxwoods Resort Casino 301. Hamlin was obviously going to be in there. I know Harvick wasn't uh, quite as far up as expected, um, but to see Brad come out, and out of that top five group there, uh, another good one to see get another good finish is rookie Cole Custer. I know we've had that talk about who's the better rookie, even he based wasn't off in the, the one win. He was in the top five. 
No, mm-hmm. I thought Custer finished fifth. No, he didn't. He no, finished eighth. My mistake. Okay, I knew yeah. he was up there. Like I said, I okay. Let me give the top okay, five no, t- here so that everybody's on the same page. Brad, we mentioned okay. Brad Keselowski, Denny Hamlin, and Martin Truex Jr. Joey Logano finished in fourth place. Kevin Harvick was the fifth place finisher. Matt DiBenedetto finished sixth. Eric Camarola in seventh. Cole Custer, the rookie, finished eighth. Chase Elliott finished ninth. And another rookie, Tyler Reddick, finished in tenth place. All right, he was a little further back, but I knew both rookies had been up in the top ten, so it's going to be a really close battle there. But uh, talking about Cole Custer, he did have another good run. And kind of the the ones we all talked about, uh, expected to finish up there, um, really did. And I'm so excited about this playoff bubble because that, that, that cut line is just getting tighter and tighter. It really is. It really is. And we'll talk about that. Uh, in just a few minutes here as we go over the points report. But, uh, some I, I, again, I just thought this was such a competitive race. Um, it was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, the, the gap uh, between first and second was the 1.647 seconds. Denny Hamlin did win the first stage of the race. Brad Keselowski won the second stage and, of course, the third stage. There were 11 caution flags for 52 laps, uh, there were 22 lead changes among just seven drivers. Uh, that includes Eric Almirola, Brad Keselowski, Denny Hamlin, Ryan Blaney, Kevin Harvick. Uh, let's see here. Austin Dillon led for a few. Uh, Chase Elliott I mentioned earlier. And those are the drivers who led uh, throughout this race. But the two dominant drivers uh, really were uh, Denny Hamlin and uh, Brad Keselowski. That's from the portion I got to listen to in the, on the road while I was listening on Sirius XM. Uh, definitely seemed like it was going to come down to those two at the end. Like I said, I know we had a couple others uh, mixing it up in there, but those seemed to be the, the strongest two cars throughout the race. Okay, let's go ahead and cover the uh, points report, Jay. All right. Uh, At the top, we still have Kevin Harvick leading by 81 points, having the four wins. Brad Keselowski now into the second spot with his third win. Puts him right in the middle. Kevin Harvick has 22 playoff points. Brad Brad Keselowski, 21. Third in points, 115 back, is Denny Hamlin with five wins, which gives him a total of 29 playoff points. That's going to be huge as we get into the playoffs here. Finish out the top five, you got Ryan Blaney with one win. He's 118 points out and has eight playoff uh, points. And Chase Elliott, another one that's in the double digits but just barely with 10 playoff points, is 143 points out. Sixth through tenth, there you have Joey Logano. And he's got a pair of wins, gives him 14 playoff points. Martin Truex with one win has seven. A spot, there sits Eric Almirola. Doesn't have a race win yet, but two stage wins, giving him two playoff points. And Kurt Busch at minus 222 is one and one. One stage win, one playoff point. Kyle Busch is in the same spot in 10, uh, one playoff point based on one stage win. Now, 11th on back, we've got Alex Bowman does have one victory and four stage wins for a total of nine playoff points. 
Clint Boyer, two stage wins, which gives two playoff points. Matt Benedetto doesn't have any in any of the categories, but just running so strong as of late. Another great top 10 finish from him. We're going to see him in the playoffs, I think. Uh, right now, 294 points out. 14th spot, William Byron. Excuse me. Uh, is at minus 319. Has two points, two stage wins for two points. 15th is Tyler Reddick. With one He's actually below the stage. cutoff line, though. Once, yeah, once you move Custer in, and my, I'm just going based mm-hmm. off of this. That this doesn't have it separated by points. Um, is 15th in points minus 334. Excuse me. Do we have two outside that have wins? Should only be one. No, t- uh, Austin's oh, no, now two. in it's uh, two. the top 16. There you go. So Tyler Reddick in 15th actually is the cutoff point based on Cole Custer, who's all the way back in 19th but has that win and five playoff points to move up. So that does put Tyler Reddick on the cut line. And then Sharon He's mentioned the Austin Dillon. Okay, maybe this one. Yeah, this one comes out of – I'm looking at the one off of J. Cole Custer will out displace of, uh, him. Cole Custer's going to displace him, though, because of his victory. Austin Dillon still stays in 16th because right. he has one right. win. Oh, I see. Okay, I see what you're saying. I follow. You're, you're correct. Yeah, uh, Tyler Reddick would be the one pushed out because Austin is in win or not. I see what you're saying. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that that would make Tyler Reddick the uh, cut or the uh, one outside at 469 total, chasing down, trying to chase down William Byron at 484, which is a total of 15 point difference. Then right behind him in 17th on the outside looking in still, 10 more points back is Jimmy Johnson. Only has one stage win, one playoff point. Eric Jones doesn't have any, but is 18th in points at 453. From there on back, you're getting into the 300-point range. Cole Custer at 381. Um, Michael McDowell, 359. Chris Buescher, 357. Those guys are really getting down to where they're going to need a win or some really good finishes and some of these guys to have some bad finishes, and that's not looking good. Well, uh, you're pretty much getting down to a need a win, win to get so in. So he's good. Yes. Okay. You were saying he was 19th. <laughs> Oh, and part yeah. of that group. Did I mention Custer again? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that's that's pretty cool to uh, kind of see how this is starting to play out. And there's only six races left, Jay, for these guys to make it into the playoffs. Yeah, that's what I said. And that bubble is, like, I feel anyway – Eric Jones and Jimmy Johnson might still be able to point their way in, but the way Tyler Reddick and Matt DiBenedetto and William Byron have been running, I, I just don't see it happen. I think that from there down is going to take a win. Uh, now, one of them might get in, depending on how Tyler Reddick or William Byron have a couple of races, but it'd have to be more than one race of a good and a bad by the one above, and I just don't see that happening. Yeah, we've got Michigan coming up. Uh, this weekend and uh, after Michigan let's see let me look at my calendar here Michigan is this weekend and then uh, Daytona Daytona the the Daytona road course is the following weekend 
So that's going to be interesting. That's going to be very interesting in this uh, scenario because uh, this is a track that nobody's raced at before. It certainly is. Uh, not only that, the then coming up, and I, I don't have the schedule up in front of me, but I know we got a Dover doubleheader coming up. But I think you're right. I think that Daytona road course is going to be a very pivotal weekend um, from a lot of aspects. We could see anyone down the list end up with a, that victory, again, depending on how things shake out. Mm-hmm. The Daytona races are coming up uh, uh, the following weekend. So you've got uh, Michigan, Daytona, and Dover. And that's going to be another one. We've talked about this in every place we've been, a doubleheader at a weekend, especially if what we've seen so far, generally if you're on it on the first race, you're going to be uh, hard to beat in the second race as well. I know at Pocono it came down to Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick swapping back and forth. So whoever gets the right setup going into Dover and comes to the track ready and unloads fast, uh, could be a huge weekend for somebody, and it could be a devastating weekend on the other side of it. Absolutely, uh, and that's what makes these uh, next six races uh, so important to these NASCAR Cup Series drivers. Uh, there is a lot on the line for them, and, you know, that means that it's going to be much more intense <laughs> uh, in these races as well. And I think that's part of what made New Hampshire so exciting uh, to watch is because, one, it's it's part of the playoffs, uh, you know, part of uh, these drivers trying to get into the playoffs. But also there was the threat uh, of rain. They kept mentioning a couple times that rain was nearby. Uh, they, they At one point they said uh, somebody had spotted rain, and we thought there was going to be a caution. Everybody went down pit road, and then they were right back on the track, uh, ready to go again. So... Uh, they're, they're, they didn't know when or if uh, that rain was going to hit. So I think it put a sense of urgency uh, on all of the drivers. Well, we've seen that uh, anytime you have the threat of rain, definitely put some pressure on. Uh, it's an absolute nightmare for crew chiefs, you know, as they try to decide, like you said, whether or not to pit, whether to stay out and run that risk of everybody else pitting. And when we go back green, them having to come in and lose all their track position and not be on the same uh, same cycle as everybody else. So uh, the threat of rain definitely brings some intensity. And like I said, it's got to have crew chiefs pulling their hair out left and right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you can count on that happening uh, for that race at Daytona as well, with it being the road course. Um, and uh, all of the things that the crew chiefs are doing to kind of get ready for that race, too. Now, I do want to get into uh, our guest that's coming up here at the 9 o'clock half hour. Uh, Joe Graff, Jr. Uh, is uh, meeting with us here at Band for Racing Radio, uh, usually the last Monday of every month. Uh, this is going to be his second visit. Last week, they had just taken off uh, for the break for the Xfinity Series. They had a week off. So we rescheduled his appearance to tonight's show. And so we're looking forward to talking with him. Joe Graff, uh, of course, is with SS Greenlight Racing in uh, NASCAR and uh, in the NASCAR Cup, in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. So uh, definitely looking forward to chatting with him uh, when he comes on board here uh, in the uh, next half hour, Jay. 
Yeah, certainly looking forward to that. And I know he's a uh, one that's made a made the agreement to come on on a regular basis, uh, as you said. Uh, obviously, circumstances occasionally prevent that, but making that adjustment and being on here with us tonight. Yes, indeed. Uh, we are indeed looking forward to chatting with him again. Uh, in fact, he's here now, so I'm going to go ahead and bring him into the queue um, for tonight's show. Uh, Joe, we're happy to have you back on board here at Fan for Racing Radio for tonight. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, definitely looking forward to chatting with you. We were just talking about it. Uh, I know you were scheduled to be on last week. Uh, we rec- you had just started vacation time uh, with the Xfinity Series having a week off here. And uh, talk just a little bit and tell us how important it is that, for you to have that break from racing in the Xfinity Series. And my understanding is that you were up in Vermont for your vacation. How is it up there? Yeah. Oh, it was great. Um, went up there and saw family. Uh, got to spend the week on the farm up there, do a bunch of different stuff. So it was a lot of fun. Um, always good to get a break. Excited to get back to racing, but uh, that, that break was uh, was really nice. Yes, I bet it is. And uh, I bet it prepares you for the, the next uh, stretch of racing before the playoffs begin. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. It's it's kind of like a reset. Like we've gone, uh, I think it was um, fourteen or fifteen races straight, and uh, like it was just it's it's nice to kind of get that break and be able to reset and uh, get ready to go for. Um, I mean, I don't even know what our next golf weekend is, if we even have one this season. So, uh, but I'm I'm ready to get back and really excited for Road America. Yes, uh, I think everybody's pretty excited about that. But the last time we talked to you, we talked about a new sponsor that you had come on board, uh, Bucked Up Energy, and you've had a few months with them now uh, as a sponsor. How's that going for you? And and uh, talk about working with them so far. Uh, it's it's been wonderful. It's been a really really fun working with them. They're uh, super knowledgeable and have an awesome product. So it's, uh, it's honestly been a dream. Um, they're, they're all really cool over there. I uh, like Ryan a lot. I like Aaron. They're all, it's, it's been great to be honest. Um, really excited to keep that relationship going. I think they're really happy as well. Yeah, I bet they are, uh, Joe. To, they're happy to be with you. Uh, and where are they located? Where's their corporate located? Because uh, if you get a chance to, I'm wondering about you're getting a chance to race with them at the track with you. Um, they're out of, uh, out of Utah. I'm sorry, out of where? Utah. Oh, out of Utah. Okay. Well, yeah. that's sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, so have they been able to be at a race with you when you've been racing? Uh they they have not yet. It's it's been really tough though. There's only been uh one or two races since we've been back that they've allowed a sponsor to go to because we don't we don't usually have fans. Um and and there's nobody else allowed in the garage or anything like that. Oh, that's so it's true. it's really difficult to get Gosh. to get people in. Um if if the rules were a little different, I'm sure uh, that they would have been out to a few of them now, but uh, it's just 
how we have to do it to at least be racing. So. Yeah, it's so hard to wrap my head around that uh, with the COVID-19 and how much of an effect it's had on what's happening at the racetrack. I know we've had a few yeah. races where there's been fans at board, but um, it, it really has a huge impact. No doubt. And even the races that we've had fans, there's been nobody else allowed in the garage. So it's been definitely difficult to have the sponsors around the garage and things like that. Um, because we just, in order to prevent further transmission and a potential outbreak within the garage, like we don't let the uh, right. NASCAR doesn't let anybody in that isn't an essential person to racing operations. So um, which I, I think is a good call on their part. Uh, like we need to be really safe and take this really serious so that we can, can continue to be racing, but it's definitely tough to have people out to the race. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt about that. Uh, better to be safe than sorry. And uh, I think I really feel like NASCAR is kind of leading the way for how this should be done uh, under the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Uh, and uh, we've done it, I think, overall, they've done, and the drivers, everybody involved, have done such a great job in following the protocols to keep everybody safe, so that's wonderful. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, they they pioneered the protocol and figured everything out, like, uh, four months ago, like, none of these protocols Mm -hmm. even existed, so it's going to be great for other sports to be able to see... um, what NASCAR did and how well it works so they can kind of mimic that for their own stuff. Um, like I, obviously there's been some changes from like pre COVID to now with racing, but like overall, I think it's gone amazing. Yeah. Especially when you consider what's happening in some of the other sports right now, uh, NASCAR is certainly leading the way. Now, I want to make sure I give time to our co-host tonight. We have Jay Huseman with us tonight as co-host, and I know he's got a few questions for you as well, Joe. Awesome. Hey, Jay, how are you doing? Good, good. Uh, I haven't had the pleasure. I know I got to meet you down at uh, Five Flags Speedway, uh, was it two years ago, I think, when you were running with the, the Arkham Menards East Series. Uh, talk a little bit about this opportunity that you got now with the Xfinity Series. I know you did some with uh, Richard Childress Racing, now with uh, SS Greenlight. Um, being with that team and what that opportunity is, has been for you. Yeah, it's it's been really cool to uh, be able to be full-time and work with uh, such a great team. Um, it's, it's definitely been a learning curve having no practice and stuff like that going to uh, – these tracks that I've, I've never been on and like there's been very few that I've actually been to before, but uh, I feel like we've been learning a lot. We've had some good runs and uh, the team's been doing great. All right. And one, one thing Sharon talked about there uh, with the COVID, how, how has that affected even working within your team? I know a lot of like meetings that uh, you would normally have are either being done via teleconference or throughout the weekend, being able to sit down and meet with your crew chief. What, what within the series uh, or within the team has that changed? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely changed a lot. I mean, it's really difficult to not be able to um, sit down with people and really go over things uh, and like, 
get the practice sessions at the track as well. Um, tune on your car, figure things out there. You kind of like we've uh, we've had some races where we've unloaded great and made very few changes throughout the race. We've had one or two that um, a practice session definitely would have helped us. But I mean, overall, I, I think we've been doing great, all things considered. But it's it's definitely been a learning curve, it, especially for me as a driver, just going out there for the race in some of these places I've never been to. Um, it, it it can be tough. All right, uh, I pull up another one. I know I had jotted down here, um, but I wanted to, I wanted to ask about that. As far as from a driver's perspective, in in your um, position, you talked about not having the practice. What is it uh, when you look going forward that? to have as far as practice uh, I know there's talk of whether or not they will or not um honestly from a business standpoint for a lot of the teams I think it makes sense not to have practice and as as much as it's uh makes it more challenging for a driver not having those laps especially ones who haven't been to any of these tracks it's it's just going to have to be part of it. You're going to have to build it into your preparation going into it and things like that. I mean, it's, it's the same for everybody, right? It's not like uh, one driver is going to have practice and one's not. It's just a matter of uh, figuring out how to prepare for that and work around practice. Well, with, with that, and you've had to do it for, for so many races so far already, what are your goals going into the second half here of the Xfinity series? Um, so I definitely want to get, um, some more top 15s. I really want to, uh, get better on the road courses as well. Indy was my first road course in anything. I'd, I'd never run a road course in an ARCA car, k and car or anything. So it was, uh, definitely a learning experience, but, uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy that we have two in a row here so I could kind of, uh, go to road America and build off of Indy last month and then go right into Daytona. So it'll be, uh, it'll be a lot of fun. All right. My last question is that you mentioned that, uh, looking for those top 15, top 10, what track here coming up in the second half of the, the season, are you really looking forward to kind of have marked or circled in red? Ooh. Um, there's a few. I'm, I'm definitely excited to go back to Darlington. We, uh, we had a pretty good run there. Unfortunately, just had to start last because of the draw. But, uh, I mean, overall, I, I thought we had a good day there. We had a really good run at Bristol. I'm really excited to go back there. Um, really excited to go back to Texas. Uh, we had an awesome race in Texas, I thought, until uh, we had a pack come out and got caught speeding on pit road under green, so we had to come down again. But, I mean, we were having an awesome race there. Really excited to go back there. Really excited to go to Darlington, Bristol. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to Martinsville. I've, I've never been there, but it looks like a lot of fun. Uh, just a lot of really good tracks. I'm also excited to hit a lot of these tracks for the second time because, as I've said, I, I haven't been to most of them. So now that I have a notebook going back into it, like I, I know some, some things that didn't work and things that did. And I feel like I'll be a lot better going into it the second time. Well, we definitely see that both from a team aspect as well as a driver. So best of luck with that. And 
hopefully uh i know we have you scheduled uh, once a month uh, maybe get you in on the winter circle then uh in in between there yeah yeah be awesome. i'm, I'm <laughs> going to turn it back over to sharon i know she's got something else for you Okay, Joe. I'm going to take it a little bit away from racing here. Uh, Some of your uh, press releases, I noticed uh, that you have a collection of sneakers. (laughs) And I'd like to talk a little bit about how how did that get started? How many sneakers do you have? How many pairs? Um, I don't know, to be honest. I I have a lot. Um, But I've I've always been into it. I was uh, really into them in high school, and then when I uh, partnered up with Eat Sleep Race at the beginning of last season, they're all sneakerheads as well. So it was uh, really good to talk with them about it and like uh, just kind of dive into it with them too. I mean, I've geez, uh, probably fifty or sixty pair. I, I would assume, but I, I don't know, to be honest with you. I don't have an exact number. I'll have to count for you. I'll let you know uh, next time I'm on. Next but time. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been really cool. Um, like, I just got, uh, like, what, what was really cool for me this week is I was up in Vermont, and where I am up there, I, so I've been going up there since I was a kid. Um, like, I, my, my mom has pictures of, of me as a baby up there, so I've been going up there forever. And uh, it's right in in Waterbury, right next to the uh, Ben & Jerry's factory. We're about 15 miles from that. So I've been going to the Ben & Jerry's factory up there since I was a kid. And uh, I just got the Ben & Jerry's Chunky Donkeys that – it was a collaboration between Nike and Ben & Jerry's. So we just got that, and – I just got a pair of those, so it's 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 been really cool. Oh, that is cool, uh, and that that's got to be. I was going to ask you, what's your most prized pair of uh, sneakers that you have? Is that your prized pair, or is there another pair? So there's that pair, and um, one of my dream sneakers since I was a freshman in high school. I finally got a pair last year. Um, was the it was they're the Nike Yeezy 2 Pure Platinum. So Kanye West uh, has a sneaker brand called Yeezy, and he's with Adidas now. But before he was with Adidas, he released two sneakers with Nike. Um, and this is the second pair of those. So I've, I've always loved them. Uh, could never get my hand on a pair. And then uh, last year I finally broke down and got one. So um, th- th- those are probably my two for sure. Okay. You know, it would be really cool to – do you ever uh, post pictures of those on uh, Twitter or Facebook? All the time. It's on uh, it's on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just go follow me uh, at Joe Graff Jr., and I have a bunch of them up there if you just scroll through my feed. Oh, we've got to go check that out, Jay. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, so, I'm, I'm not a big shoe person, but I'll have to, I'll have to take a look, man, see what I'm missing out on. Yeah, yeah. I just put up a picture yesterday or two days ago. I went to the uh, Ben & Jerry's factory while I was in Vermont with the uh, shoes, so it was pretty cool. Now, is Vermont your hometown, Joe? Uh, no, I'm, I'm actually hometown? from New Jersey, but uh, we. Okay. My, my grandparents live up there now, and I've, I've gone up there since I was a kid. Um, it's 
it's it's one of my favorite places in the world for sure. There's just nothing like it. Okay, so uh, it's, it sounds like it's a really great place for you to. I see you with the Ben and Jerry's uh, ice cream uh, bus there. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that's what the uh, sneakers came in. It was awesome. Oh, that is very cool. Um, so, uh, New Jersey is your hometown. This is a, a little bit. I kind of see this. Uh, series of uh, visits with you as a chance to kind of get to know you a little bit better. Uh, so it's kind of cool to hear about uh, the sneaker thing, the sneaker collections that you have. Is there anything about anything else about Joe Graff Jr. that maybe fans don't know about that you'd be willing to share with us? Ooh, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. We know I'm, that you I'm pretty – we know you're a student at New York University, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, that you're I'm pretty open. You're a pretty open book, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty active on social media, um, posting about the stuff I do and everything else. So, uh, I don't know if there's anything big that they don't know about me, but. Uh, I'm I'm definitely open to questions if anybody's wondering. Just uh, tweet me and I'll make sure I get back to you. Okay. Uh, any favorite sports teams that you have? Ooh. Um. So, I've I've never been like diehard for a sports team. I've always liked individual players. Like uh, I'm a huge Tom Brady fan. Um, so when he was at the Patriots, I, I guess you say I was a Patriots fan, but, uh, I'm, I'm more a fan of him than I am the team, to be honest. <laughs> okay. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, it's just like, uh, NASCAR fans, right? They have favorite drivers, uh, and sometimes they're following the team. Sometimes they're following the drivers, but, uh, I think a lot of people have a, a driver that they follow. So it's kind of cool to know who the drivers follow as a sports team. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that might be uh, where I got it from, actually. I mean, I was, I was a huge NASCAR fan growing up, but I never had a team. I always had drivers, right? So I kind of just took that over to the other sports. I never really had one team. It was more different players that I liked from different teams. So so, so who are the NASCAR drivers that you followed as a kid? Uh, I, I was a really, really big Jimmy Johnson fan when I was a kid. Um, huge, huge fan of Jimmy Johnson, huge fan of Tony Stewart. Okay, two big names there. Uh, Tony Stewart uh, now with his own race team. And uh, and uh, Jimmy Johnson, wow. A lot of people are advocating for him to go for another season. What do you think? <laughs> um. I mean, I, I would love to see behind the wheel again, but ultimately it's uh, whatever's going to make Jimmy happy. I don't know uh, what point of his life he's at and if uh, he's going to be happier running another, running another season, then I hope he does. If he uh, wants to move on and do other things, maybe race some other cars, then more power to him. Well, he both of those are good drivers uh, to look up to for sure. Uh, and both of them have had a lot of success in NASCAR. Joe, it's uh, been really great uh, talking with you here tonight, not just about the racing, but uh, to get to know you a little bit better as well. 
and uh, we're definitely looking forward to the next time that uh, you're on our list here to come back and visit with us here at Fan for Racing Radio. And that date uh, is going to be actually August the 31st uh, that you'll be back on air here with us. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, and uh, anything, any other shout-outs that you want to make before we uh, say goodnight here, Joe? Yeah, just a big shout-out to Bucked Up Energy, Eat, Sleep, Race, Core Development, and uh, everybody helps me do what I love. All right. Uh, can't do it without the sponsors. So, uh, and, and maybe next time uh, we'll kind of get into SS Greenlight Racing a little bit more uh, and kind of learn some of the behind-the-scenes there at uh, SS Greenlight. Sounds good. I look forward to it. Okay, Joe. Uh, thanks for coming on board, and we'll look forward to August 31st when you come back with us again. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, thanks, good night guys. now. Good night. Good night. All right. That was Joe Graff, Jr. Uh, some interesting things there, Jay. I always love it when we get to have drivers on, whether it be the winner's circle or not. Uh, like you said, getting to know them not just on the track but off the track and I know Joe Graff Jr. there is one that the amount of time that I got to spend with him at Five Flags Speedway, seeing him interact with the fans, with the other people in the in the garage area, all of it, just an absolutely amazing uh, young driver. Yes, yes, indeed. And, uh, you know, he, he uh, is, we've mentioned before that he's a student at New York University. Uh, he's done an internship at RCR. And uh, I meant to ask if he's still doing that. We'll have to check on that uh, next time. But um, uh, he's got uh, close associations there at RCR. And uh, first year in the Xfinity Series, and one cool thing that he mentioned there is that he's now going to get a chance to kind of visit some of the tracks uh, for the second time. Uh, And so I think that makes this second part of the season a lot more uh, fun to watch him on the track most certainly especially under the conditions where we have right now where you don't have he mentioned not having the the practice and qualifying um but we've seen that teams are overcoming that on on all ends whether it be the top teams or some of these other teams and so i certainly think so i know just talking about how he ran at texas i think that is one that we're really going to have to watch when they return there the second time absolutely now, this coming weekend, Jay, we're going to be able to watch uh, uh, the teams back on track, the Truck Series as well as the Xfinity Series. Um, there's actually going to be a double header for the Cup Series at Michigan. Uh, they're going to race on Saturday as well as on Sunday. Uh, we've got uh, the Truck Series racing on Friday night and the Xfinity Series uh, 11 a.m. on Saturday at Road America, uh, the Xfinity Series is going to race, and he talked about that race uh, and uh, uh, how tough it is to prepare uh, without the practice and the qualifying. But I think he's right. It's probably better that they don't have all of that happening. And it does put everybody kind of on an even level playing field, uh, even for teams uh, you know, like SS Greenlight Racing, it puts them on a more even playing field, I think, with the other teams. 
Oh, most certainly, and we've seen that, and I, I think back to Jeremy Clements. That's where he picked up his win uh, and worked his way into the playoffs. So I, I can see SS Greenlight being like that. I didn't realize, though, and I, when he mentioned that he hadn't run any of the series that he had run on a road course. So um, I know we ran out of time there, but I was kind of interested to see what he thought as a driver of going into Daytona road course, especially with the no practice. Yes, yes. Well, we'll be able to talk to him after that race uh, and see how that kind of goes. Um, let's talk about the series point standings, though, for the truck series, uh, because, uh, I get, like I said, they're going to be racing again at Michigan uh, this Friday at 6 p.m., and fans will be able to watch that. Uh, that's 6 p.m. Central time, so it'll be 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, and that race will be televised on Fox Sports 1. All right, let me get the uh, Truck Series points pulled up here real quick. I know we talked about this with that um, playoff bubble in that series as well uh, with a couple of the drivers that are on the outside looking in. Uh, Mm -hmm. Get it pulled up here. Well, we can look at it from the projected playoff perspective. Uh, I can do it if you're not quite ready. I can do the first first uh, four or five here. Alright, if you want to do the the first five, I'll do the second five. Okay. Austin Hill uh, is in first place. He's at 394 points uh, and uh, takes the lead. He's got uh, one win uh, for this year in ten starts, so uh, that looks good. Grant Infinger is in second place at 320 points, 74 points behind. He does have the two wins, though, uh, that put him uh, ahead of him in the playoff. Sheldon Creed in third place uh, is 75 points back. He's just uh, – wait a second here. Why is this – okay, they've got this in playoff order here. Okay, I see what the difference is. He's 75 points back, uh, and uh, in third place, he does have the one win. Matt Crafton, uh, he's in fourth place and has the one win. Now, um, in fifth place is Ben Rhodes with no wins. This starts where we have the zero wins uh, drivers. Uh, So Ben Rhodes from Thor Sport Racing in fifth place. Uh, Are you ready yet? Yeah, I can follow down from there. Uh, okay. Christian Eckes at minus 50. Again, no wins, no stage points, which means no playoff points, as well as fellow rookie Zane Smith in that same boat. Um, and, and the one I, I apologize, the one I'm looking at isn't in the playoff mode. So the playoff, if you're looking at the playoff mode one, that one would actually reset. Yeah, that's what I was looking. Based at. off their stage points. Okay, I don't have that one up. Let me look uh, here. Next down, then, it would actually be Zane Smith because he does have uh, three stage wins, three stage wins and three playoff points, and then Brett Moffitt with two and two. And I think the interesting thing is going to be to look at though is going to be now that we get into this stretch, we might not see as many Cup drivers. How many more Truck Series uh, drivers we see that do pick up some points and or wins? Mhm. Uh, you they mentioned only have okay, two so Ben left. Rhodes. 
Then would be Derek Krause, another rookie. And we got three rookies right now inside the top 10. Certainly going to be interesting for their rookie battle. And Todd Gilliland as that 10th and final driver at 289 points, five behind the point leader. But here's where it gets interesting. We have winners right behind them, Tyler Ankrum and Johnny Sauter at 267 and 236. So Tyler Ankrum is 22 points back, and Johnny Sauter is 53 points back. So, again, we're talking about needing a win to get in because, again, I don't think that's going to be made up in just two races. Exactly. So we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. Uh, with that truck series, let's let's also cover the uh, projected playoff uh, for the Xfinity series real quick. We've got about three minutes here. I can start it out if you want. Okay. Okay, we've got Chase Briscoe in the lead. He has five wins, um, and uh, he's got three stage wins, so that's uh, pretty cool. Um that puts him at the top of the board. Uh, next is Austin Sindrick with his, with his three wins and seven stage uh, wins. Uh, in third place is Noah Gregson. Uh, he is uh, eight stage wins and uh, two victories. Also with two victories is uh, Harrison Burton. Uh, with zero stage wins. That's kind of surprising. Uh, Brandon Jones is fifth, and he has the two wins and two stage wins as well. So uh, that's the top five there, Jay. Okay, this one's not the same either. I don't know where you're pulling that up off the... Are you looking at the projected playoff? Yeah, that's what I tried to pull up. It's not... The format's not the you same under click on NASCAR. The rank. com. Click, click on the rank. Oh, you're not at NASCAR.com. Okay, I'll go ahead yeah, and go down. Isn't. Justin, Justin okay. Haley uh, is in sixth place. He has the one victory uh, and one playoff win. Now, those are the drivers that all have wins. The next group of drivers, and hopefully Jay will catch up with me here, um, are the drivers that are in on points. It is the top 12 drivers in the Xfinity Series here. And, Jay, just for the sake of time here, I think I'll go ahead and just list these guys off. Um, you've got yeah. Justin Algauer next, uh, then Ross Chastain. Justin does have the seven playoff stage wins. Um, Ross Chastain next with zero. Michael Lynette with zero. Uh, then Ryan Sieg has two stage wins, Riley Erbst with zero, and Brandon Brown with zero. Those are the top 12 drivers. Now, the drivers on the outside looking in are uh, Jeremy Clements in 13th, Daniel Hemrick in 14th, and Myatt Snyder in that 15th place spot. Now, uh they, uh, Myatt Snyder is uh, minus 49 points. So again, uh, these guys, uh, have, have, um, not that many races left before the playoffs begin. Daniel Hemrick, it should be noted, uh, everybody else is on 17 starts in the series. Daniel Hemrick is 14th with just 11 starts in the series. So just some interesting stats as we consider Michigan coming up next 
for these uh, two series. Definitely going to be, and we know that. Of uh, We've seen that Michigan is one of those, of generally a team that is good there um, is going to be your front runners, and, and we know that obviously Chase Briscoe, Austin Sindrick right now have been the class of the field on all tracks, so we'll have to see if somebody else can break into that little group there. Okay. Well, we are now at the 9.30 time frame, when that means, Jay, that it is time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And joining us uh, as part of our Fan for Racing crew tonight is Mike Orzel. Hello. Okay, Mike. Uh, I'm going to kind of lead us off tonight uh, because there was some breaking news today uh, after uh, Brad Keselowski got his third victory in the Cup Series for this season, uh, Team Penske announced today that they are bringing him back to the number two uh, Ford for next season. Uh, at least we think it's going to be a Ford. So I wanted to get your guys' thoughts about um, Brad Keselowski re-signing with Team Penske for another year. So, Mike, we'll start with you on that news. Yeah, uh, we've obviously talked about it several shows uh, in the past regarding Brad Keselowski's future, whether it be at Team Penske or somewhere else. And uh, I will admit that I was wrong. I was pretty pretty firmly in the camp believing that Brad Keselowski and Team Penske were going to part ways at the end of the season. Um, and I ended up being wrong about that. Good to see him get signed to it. Now it is just for a one-year deal, like you said. So it leaves the future in doubt for Brad, you know, the long-term future in doubt for Brad. Uh, but at least that uh, that. 2021 season is uh, is seems like it's short up for uh, for Brad Keselowski and the two team. Obviously, that brings in the question of what now, especially for guys like uh, Austin Sindrick in the Xfinity Series, uh, who looks like an obvious move to Team Penske at some point in the future, and Matt Benedetto, who is also on a one-year deal for the 2020 season and has not been announced what will happen with the 21 car after the 2020 season is over. So I think the big question now regarding Team Penske and their affiliates is what happens with Austin Sindrick with regards to the 21 car. Okay. Uh, so that's, those are good points. Jay, what are your thoughts? Yeah, one one answer is still leads to a lot of questions. Uh, the fact that it is a one-year extension uh, obviously it leaves the door open for, for some other questions beyond that, and that might possibly revolve around the manufacturer change. I know that's kind of been hinted at. I'm kind of curious as to see how that comes about. I know at the beginning of the season and, and as of even a couple weeks ago when we talked about Brad Keselowski, the fact that it hadn't been announced or signed made us really do believe I was kind of on the same boat as Mike of that he would be departing. The fact that it is a one-year extension, um, I'm not sure because, again, if it revolves around a manufacturer, they might have to look at that, again, maybe with a new manufacturer coming in if they do and if Penske does make that transition. I know there's a couple of ifs there that we don't have any facts attached to yet, but it, it does leave that door open of maybe then Honda is the one that wants to look at if it were Honda. Um look at maybe Austin Sindrick being the long-term. So uh, I'm a little uncomfortable with the fact that it was only a one-year extension. Yeah, really good points, you guys. Uh, I agree. I, I 
I'm really happy to hear that Brad Keselowski is going to be back at Team Penske. Uh, but you're right, Jay. It's like one question answered, uh, but about ten other questions <laughs> come to mind um, with the result of, of uh, the whole announcement. Uh, why just the one year uh, does make you wonder uh, what's going on with that. And and uh, I know at the beginning of the season it almost seemed like there was a little bit of a rift between Brad Keselowski and Joey Logano, uh, and that came about, I think, as a result of the crew chief swap that took place. Brad Keselowski was with Paul Wolf for such a long time, and they had such great success together. Uh, it had to be hard for him to give up Paul Wolf um, to, uh, you know, a big competitor, Joey Logano, and especially seeing them have such great success in the very beginning. But now that Brad Keselowski has the three victories, um, that may have put that rift kind of on the back burner, and uh, maybe there's some other things uh, that are in play here, and you guys bring up good points with the manufacturer, potentially a manufacturer change at Team Penske. Uh, and we are definitely speculating here when we talk about that, uh, but it's certainly hinted at uh, when Team Penske made the announcement uh, with their IMSA group uh, that they uh, were dropping out of IMSA in favor of NASCAR, uh, and so it led a lot of people to wonder uh, about why that might be happening uh, and so that's where this speculation is kind of all stemming from. I, 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 again, I'm real happy for Brad Keselowski. I'm glad to see him back at Team Penske. Um, there's certainly room to make room for Austin Sindrick if they decide to move him up. Uh, but whether or not Ford uh, is going to do that uh, is, is part of the questions that I think kind of come to mind. Uh, or if... Um, you know, what exactly is going to happen, we don't know. So we'll have to kind of wait for the rest of that story. Mike, any follow-up there? I wouldn't be particularly alarmed by a one-year deal. Obviously, contracts aren't necessarily public knowledge. That you know, Information gets out here and there. Um, and a lot of that information seems to indicate that shorter-term deals are more of the norm than they may have been in the past. I can think of probably about half a dozen drivers who entered the season on a one-year deal. Uh, Austin's, uh, I'm sorry, um, uh, Alex Bowman, Matt Benedetto, Eric Jones, uh, some of them have been re-signed, some of them have not. Uh, and now Brad Keselowski announcing a one-year contract extension. It seems like that more fits along the norm. With regard to the potential manufacturer swap, I don't know that there's been any indication officially that Honda is look, pulled out of IMSA with the look to moving into NASCAR, although that does, if you read between the lines, does line up with some of the things that Honda has said regarding their participation in motorsports. Um, if Honda were to come in, I don't believe they're going to come in with a Gen 6 car. They're most likely going to be aiming for the Gen 7 car, which is now going to be a 2022 season uh, debut in NASCAR, which, again, that lines back up with that one-year deal of maybe Brad Keselowski would stick around for a potential swap over to Honda, or perhaps Brad Keselowski would depart at that point. Um, with regard to expanding to a four-car team, sponsorship is, of course, going to be the biggest question there. If Honda were to join the uh, join NASCAR, they may end up being a factory-sponsored team uh, with Team Penske, and Honda may want those four cars out there to represent the brand and provide the funding in order for Team Penske to expand to a four-car organization. Unfortunately, we have seen some sponsorship uh, issues at Team Penske 
Most notably, the Miller Brewing sponsorship with the two-car has been in decline over the past few seasons to the point now where they have very few primary sponsorship races left on the two-car. Um, Shell Pennzoil has been a pretty reliable partner with Joey Logano and the 22 team, but the 12 and the two are both a patchwork of sponsorships throughout the season. So without picking up another major sponsorship, whether that be Honda or Acura or some other yet-to-be-determined uh, company, I'm not sure if Team Penske would be in the financial position to field a fourth car without that additional sponsorship. Jay. Well, I think Mike is on something there. I do believe with the drivers you mentioned, a lot of times it does revolve around sponsorship. Uh, Matt DiBenedetto may be a little bit different case as that was kind of a test and see type deal, um, even though he became recommended by the the sponsor uh, that was uh, one of the sponsors of the team. However, it also kind of brought another question or two. I know Sharon kind of kind of mentioned it when, when we were talking with Joe Graff Jr. of whether or not Jimmy Johnson may extend and do his final year next year due to the way that COVID has kind of broken up this year, which begs the question of is Brad Keselowski now need a one-year deal so that he can go to the 48 the following year. So I don't know that you've been necessarily proved wrong as of yet, Mike. I think that's a really good point, Jay, uh, because uh, that would certainly explain the one-year deal uh, with Brad Keselowski. And and I think you're right in most cases, but uh, that there, there are uh, more one-year deals than we've seen in the past. But I think those are usually because the driver's considering a retirement or usually because they want to test the driver. I, I think there's specific reasons, or you mentioned sponsorship. You know, some of it is sponsorship-driven. So there's any number of reasons uh, for that to happen. But um, uh, I do think that uh, it's a good thing that Brad Keselowski is going to be back with Team Penske. Uh, there are so many factors here. Uh, that are unanswered uh, for us at this point to really be able to, uh, again, we're just speculating on what we think may be the reasons for why it's a one-year deal, uh, and all sound very valid to me. So uh, we'll have to wait and see what exactly does happen in the end. So, Mike, let's go to you uh, for the next hot, hot topic. Okay, so there's a certain C word that floats around motorsports, um, and I don't want to say that this this was C word material, but Alex LeBay uh, was asked to withdraw from an SCCA event at Daytona International Speedway over this past weekend. Um, it was a Trans Am type race, so Camaros and, and muscle car type uh, type cars. And the team basically took a current Xfinity Series car, attached a few sets of lights, basically looked like you would get from the, uh, the parts, uh, parts store aisle. They attached the lights to the car in order to pass IMSA Tech, and they were doing some laps out there on the Daytona road course. And uh, some officials from NASCAR came over and told them to uh, please excuse themselves from the event. Okay, Jay. Okay, he didn't even use a big word, but I'm not sure what the C word is referring to there, but it was interesting well, cheating, that NASCAR is. Well, see, I don't know. Uh, advantage, maybe. And it, it really surprises me. 
yeah, there loophole's a good one, right? Um, I know NASCAR put it out that they couldn't uh, race in more than one of their series races, but I don't recall seeing where it said they couldn't run anything at that track. So this is kind of uncharted territory. I know what NASCAR was trying to do to keep the playing field level, but you also aren't disqualifying the guys that have had experience on the road course, such as Kyle Busch, Jimmy Johnson, that have run in the Rolex uh, 24 hours of Rolex. So I don't see where that's a whole lot of difference. Uh, it was kind of a surprising move. I understand where NASCAR is coming from as far as trying to keep the, the playing field level and they can control within their series. But to prohibit them from being there in another series, I think maybe crossing a little bit of a line. Okay. Um, I was trying to see if I could go back and see exactly how they position themselves with the um, rules that were put out for Daytona. Uh, releases details. Here it is. Um, it, here's the thing. It, it's kind of obvious. Uh, and first of all, I want to ask, let me ask this first. Where does this news come from, uh, Mike? Uh, I'm not sure where it was officially reported at. It was widely reported on Twitter, and there was plenty of pictures out there of the car on the track. I believe Jeff Gluck mentioned it, among others. Uh, I'm not sure what outlet has carried a story, if anyone has carried an official story about it, though. Yeah, because I don't see anything on J-Skis at all about it. Um let me see if I, again I'm looking for the exact wording of how NASCAR drivers will be during the weekend. Yeah, drivers will be prohibited to run multiple races during the weekend. Now, here's the thing. The intent here is to prevent drivers from getting an advantage of having more experience on an uncharted road course over any of the other drivers. And that's what I think we have to look at here. And NASCAR is trying to stay true to that intent. Yes, it's uncharted territory. Yes, it's it's not something that we've seen possibly happen in the past. I don't know. Maybe you guys know of some uh, precedent here. Uh, but I, I think the intent is to make sure <laughs> that um, – Nobody has an advantage over any of the other drivers during that weekend. Um, and so that's why they put the rule in place to begin with. Alex LeBay knew that. His team knew that. And they are looking for a loophole is the way that I see it. Uh, and they found the loophole, uh, but NASCAR did step in uh, and uh, let them know how they felt about it. And... Um, I think if they want to maintain their integrity with the intent of the rule, uh, they would almost have to do that. So I want to get uh, your thoughts, Mike. Well, I'm kind of with Jay on this in that obviously they very publicly and officially said drivers will not participate in NASCAR test sessions, nor will the drivers be able to participate in more than one NASCAR sanctioned race at that track this weekend. But, as far as I understand, at least everything that was publicly available did not say that these drivers couldn't participate in some other sanctioning body, in this case, SCCA's event that happens to be on the track. Now, it's not just a matter that they took him off the track for the day. Adam Stern is now reporting that Alex DeBay is going to be suspended for two races because of this. Um, and 
I think that might be a little bit overboard. It's one thing to tell them to come get off the track. We don't appreciate you trying to push a loophole, but to to actually suspend the driver who's worked pretty hard to get sponsorship and, and get into rides in the first place. Now to suspend that driver for the team taking advantage of what appears to be an unpublished loophole, it seems like it's a little bit overboard. I understand the intent, but without them explicitly putting it in writing before Alex Obey's SECA uh, test took place, it becomes kind of a, you know, a retroactive thing almost to the point where can they, you know, can NASCAR go back and rewrite rules that they've already published when somebody tries to take advantage of something that's not in the already published rules? Well, here's the catch, I think, Jay. Uh, In the link that uh, Mike sent to me, it does say he was still required uh, to get prior authorization and approval in order to participate in that test. And he was supposed to get that authorization and approval from NASCAR. He obviously did not do that, and that's what gives them the authority to step in. So, Jay, your thoughts? Well, and that's why I was trying to re- read the one that there that he did send via NASCAR. I was looking at or via Jayski. Um, I was looking at a different one. Um, that again, it doesn't appear real clear, and we don't have the actual no or uh, policy as far as what they said, as far as and I know it became public though that that they couldn't participate in more than one of the four series race, which includes the Cup Series, Xfinity, Trucks, or ARCA. Um, and I don't know whether well, that's NASCAR a normal said requirement. That there's no testing. Right, I understand that. But, and that's where I said, like I said, and you know, there's that rule book is thick for a reason. Does that include then of other series? Because to me, and it's no different. We we talked talked about Chase Briscoe running a Trans Am series race at Road America coming up. Now I know that's outside of this being the the Daytona race, which there's going to be no practice for anybody. Um, so I think maybe that the LeBay and his team, uh, Mario Goslin as the team owner, could make a case that this this really shouldn't be. As they said, they felt like they went through the proper protocol. When NASCAR asked them to stop, they stopped. Um, but as far as it being disapproved ahead of time, um, I, I don't know. I, I don't have their rule book. Well, it says that they we required prior authorization and approval to participate, which he did not get. So it, that seems pretty clear to me. If it's required that they have prior authorization and approval to to take part, part in that test, then they should have done that and didn't. So, Mike, follow up. Yeah, I, it's I still am kind of in this. You know. It, Yes, it's it's very obviously a, a current Xfinity Series car that he had out there, um, but it also it passed SCCA Tech in order to be considered a legal car for the event that SCCA, not NASCAR, was having at the venue. If he had showed up in, say, a factory Corvette or something like that, I'm wondering if that would have been an issue as well, because, again, the rule book, or at least the rules that I could see that are published, prohibit NASCAR-related activity on the track not necessarily participation at the facility that happens to coincide with another uh, another sanctioning body series. Um, maybe I'm reading it wrong. Maybe I'm interpreting it wrong. But it sounds like this is a clear-cut case of they found a loophole, 
They tried to exploit the loophole. They got shut down. And I think up to that, that's, that's okay. That's, that's acceptable. But I'm with Jay in that I think that there's a very legitimate case for appeal on this, at least in the two-race suspension, um, with regard to them trying to exploit a loophole that then closed up around them. Okay. Jay, follow-up? Yeah, based on what information we have and the way it's being presented now, I think that there might have been some misinterpretation, whether it was how NASCAR put it out there, that they didn't want them on that track in any way, shape, or form. And again, I don't know what their standard procedure is as far as getting approval for another series. So um, I think there, there's a case to be made. And the fact that they got in, what, seven laps, I think is what it said. Okay, maybe a fine or something. But I, I'm with Mike. I, I don't know if a suspension, especially for, for a team like that, that's kind of unprecedented. And I know this is kind of an unprecedented situation and what NASCAR was trying to do but the fact that it was within another series, and and I go back to I'm trying to think back to, you know I take that back because what was it that somebody was testing in a, the Arca series in a car that it was so similar to the Arca East to the regular Arca series there was one a couple of years back with that so maybe that's what they're falling back on, I I don't know it just seems a little fishy that and especially a team like. Mario Goslin, I mean, obviously, if they thought it was something that was going to cost them big time or whatever, they can't afford to be making a mistake like that. I just don't see them doing it without what they, like they said, they they felt like they followed the proper protocol. Well, I I respectfully disagree with both of you. I think it's pretty clear cut. Uh, They were supposed to get uh, prior approval. Uh, The word required prior approval uh, says it all for me, and they did not do that. And so NASCAR stepped in and did what they needed to do, and, um, you know, maybe they will appeal it, but I think it's pretty obvious. You've said it. Mike said it. uh, We've all said it here. It's pretty obvious they were looking for that loophole uh, to get around uh, uh, to get some time on that road course. and uh, NASCAR didn't like it, and so they did something about it. So uh, I think NASCAR did what they needed to do to keep it all fair for everybody. And uh, I think uh, if they were supposed to get prior approval and they didn't, then it's it's pretty cut and dry from where I sit. So, um, Mike, last follow-up. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's just the old racer mentality of if it's not written in black and white in at least two or three different places in the rule book, you should at least kind of press the test at every once in a while. I mean, that, that goes back all the way as far as racing. Sometimes you get bit by it, sometimes you don't. Um, but if, if absolutely nothing else, I think, the, uh, I think the suspension is probably a little bit overboard in terms of penalizing the team for trying to be a little bit outside the box in their thinking, especially a team like that where, let's be honest here, I don't even if you've been able to run the full time during that SCCA event, the resources that that team has makes it very unlikely that, it's, that they were going to steal a win away from somebody else uh, by participating in that SCCA event. Maybe it gave, it would have given them the chance to make the car a little bit more competitive for the weekend, but I don't think it would have a massive negative impact on the on-track product that we're going to see in a couple of weeks. Okay, well let that be the last word. 
Uh, Jay, I, it's your turn for the next topic. I was, was going to say, can I get, can I get a little bit more in there on that one yet? <laughs> um, I, I'm okay. kind of split on what Mike said there, and I know he hasn't been been with the uh, fan for racing group as as long, but I can tell you, if you're going to try and persuade Sharon to hold, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. That's not going to fly. <laughs> <laughs> I know she's not a fan of that. I can tell you that firsthand. Um, yeah. But what I don't agree with, with with Mike saying that that's not a team that even if they had the full session would steal a win, so it should be okay. I don't agree with that. If if the rule is you can't do it, whether it's going to get you a win or not, I, I don't agree with that, just as I don't with if a driver is named Kyle Busch or Chase Elliott, they can do it. If you're not, you can't. You know, So I disagree with that ar- argument of it. Um, but like I said, if – and Mike said it, a black and white clear. And I know that NASCAR is saying it was required, but do we know where it's written or see where it's written that says you can't run in any series at this track? That's where, if if it is written such and it is required of them and they violated that, then by all means do what you got to do. From what we saw and what information we had, it was they couldn't participate in any race outside of NASCAR's four events. And this is not. Mm-hmm. So that's where I, I have that question. And like I said, I don't have that rule book or that policy letter, whatever it is that was made. So I can't. Well, what you're saying it, could but, be said for any penalty because we don't have the rule book to see any of the what's written. But so, nor, but normally then when they when they punish somebody, they show what rule it's written under. And unfortunately, and I know this from the military. There's always that clause of detrimental to the, you know, uh, detrimental to NASCAR. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you're looking at cross-eyed at somebody is detrimental to NASCAR, they put it under that category. I mean, and I've never been a fan of that, your catch-all clause. But um, we'll we'll have to see. Like I said, I definitely think there could be an appeal if that is the case that they push with that. Um, we'll have to see how it plays out. Maybe more information will come out on the exact rule and what that what they said they put out prior to it like mike said if it's something they're changing their mind on or adding to now after it happened i disagree with that well i can guarantee you if it's not in writing it will be <laughs> especially if they appeal it um my guess is that it is in writing um just by the fact that they said a required approval was needed and wasn't gotten um uh, a prior approval was required is what they said. So that leads me to believe that it is in writing somewhere, and it's uh, somewhere that you and I don't have uh, uh, the privilege of uh, having in our hands. So I don't know. Uh, you know, we'll have to uh, maybe uh, follow up on this if there is a penalty, but uh, we'll leave it at that. Okay, Jay, what is your next topic? Well, mine goes to the sponsorship side as well as another driver uh, re-signing for next year. Uh, Adam Stern, I think, was the one that had it up, yes. Uh, tweet says, Andrew Merston says that RPM has another new sponsorship it is about to announce, and he's hoping this run of deals will help convince Bubba Wallace to renew. And then it says, RPM has also offered an equity stake as of at David Smith MA first reported ownership in the team of 10 to 20 percent uh so we'll go from there okay mike 
Yeah, they talked about that a little bit during the race broadcast on Sunday. Um, they didn't get into too many details, obviously, because they're talking about a race that's going on on the track during that time. Um, but, yeah, the equity stake being offered to Bubba Wallace is an interesting piece. Um, I don't know that I can think of any time, aside from maybe Jeff Gordon getting a piece of Hendrick Motorsports, so he bought into that. Um, I can't think of too many instances where a driver is offered an equity stake in the ownership of the race team he drives for as part of a contract negotiation process, or at least not something like that that's been publicly uh, published like that. So it's kind of interesting. Obviously, Richard Petty Motorsports does not have the deepest financial resources. Um, Remember earlier in the year, Bubba Wallace had two consecutive wheel hub failures, and he said something to the radio along the lines of, I'm not going to wreck this car because we can't afford to buy wheel hubs. So obviously, Richard Petty Motorsports doesn't have the deep enough pockets that they feel that they can straight out buy the kind of talent that Bubba Wallace probably brings to the table so they had to find something unique to offer them i find it interesting that an equity stake was what was put on the table um i'm not sure where they're going to go with it uh, bubba has said he's had several offers uh recently from various teams and he doesn't know what his plans for next year are going to be but it is interesting to see them put that on the table okay now this originated with a uh, post by adam stern saying that bubba wallace uh, could be heading to Chip Ganassi Racing for next season. So it sounds to me like there's a little bit of a battle going on for uh, where Bubba Wallace is going to be racing for next season. And Richard Petty Motorsports is making it very clear that they want him to stay uh, within their organization with uh, the sponsorship and the offers that they're putting on the table for him. Uh it is going to be interesting to see what Bubba Wallace does. And uh, I, I also find it interesting that there there are other teams looking for him uh, to be a part of their organization. Uh, so uh, I can't it, – it's interesting that it's Chip Ganassi Racing when you consider uh, that uh, the seat that they're talking about him taking is that number 42 car that was vacated by Kyle Larson – um, who left uh, as as a result of uh, the racial slur, and now they're talking about putting Bubba Wallace into that seat. Uh, I find that all rather fascinating in this whole scenario as well. Uh, but RPM uh, is certainly making it clear that they want him to be a part of their organization for next season. It's going to be interesting to see what Bubba does in the end. Uh, also mentioned in here is that... Um, there were several other people inquiring. Uh, they said at least three, uh, three drivers, one a current star, uh, looking to take that number 43. They wanted, to, they were expressing interest in the number 43. So that part is rather interesting to me too. Uh, your thoughts, my. Uh, I guess we're going back to Jay now. Jay, your thoughts. Well, I think that the interesting thing to me, first I'll start with the, the connection to, to um, or one of the connections they say anyway, the sponsorship with Chip Ganassi of McDonald's also has a tie to Bubba Wallace on a on a individual contract yeah. or however you look at it. Okay, so that's a possible tie in there. What I don't like in this scenario, and I'm trying to approach this delicately, is the timing of it right now i think it is kind of a 
I don't know if political is the right term, but with the following of Bubba Mm. Wallace. Where were these sponsors that wanted to support Bubba Wallace when he ran top five for Roush Fenway Racing in the Xfinity Series and couldn't get a sponsor to finish the season? Where was it? Where were mm-hmm. these sponsors when he moved into the Cup Series? Now, with everything that's happened in this past three to six months, all of a sudden, everybody wants to be a part of it. And we have seen improvement from the cars and Bubba Wallace as a driver my thing is the sponsor should have already been there to back him as a driver prior to this. So I have a little bit of an issue from that and not because I don't want to see Bubba Wallace succeed or get the sponsorship. It's about the reasoning behind it. Mike. Yeah, I'm with Jay on this as well. Um, it's always great to see drivers be given opportunities uh, for whatever reason. It's good to see them be given opportunities. My concern is if Bubba Wallace's popularity is being driven by current politics, politics change with the wind. And when those change, what's going to happen at that point? Hopefully it doesn't result in a rug getting pulled out from under Bubba Wallace, who is, I believe, a, a driver who, uh, whose talent exceeds the capability that the financial resources of the team are able to provide him. Um, so I, I would like to see him in a more competitive car, whether that is a better-funded 43, the 42 car, or some other opportunity where he's able to show off his talent as a driver and not just as a spokesperson for a given political cause or movement. Um, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. However, a driver's talent should be what speaks for him primarily, not necessarily a brand that they represent. Yeah, part of the reason why I think the sponsorship is showing up at this point for Bubba Wallace is that uh, he's had a lot more TV appearances uh, than we've seen him have uh, in during his career. So uh, that increased exposure that he was getting is what attracted uh, the new team sponsor. Um, and... Uh, and and uh, endorsements that he's getting now, and now Richard Petty's saying there's another new sponsorship in the in the wings here, so um, so it, it is going to be interesting to see just how this all plays out. I mean, I I hear what you guys are saying, um, and and uh, I, I just find the whole scenario very interesting. Is is the way I'm going to put it. I just, uh, I and I think it's obvious to me that RPM's doing everything they can to keep him there, and I just think the interesting thing is going to see going to be uh, what Bubba Wallace does when it's all said and done. I, to me, that's going to be the most interesting part of this. And I, and I do I do like the fact that hopefully he does stay there. The uh, interest in the team, the investment in the team. Um, We've seen that, and I don't recall uh, for sure if Jeff Gordon had to buy into Hendrick Motorsports or if that was, because I know he was given a lifetime contract, whether or not he had to buy into the ownership side of it or if that was given it to him. The other one I think of, though, was uh, Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, That one was a you get half of the company, which uh, Tony took full advantage of and and brought Mm -hmm. it to a whole new level, which so, I mean, in that case, Obviously, Gene Haas knew what he wanted and got what he wanted uh, as that took that organization to a whole new level. 
Um, so there are times when that certainly is called for. And, uh, you know, obviously Jeff Gordon panned out okay, if you will, uh, for Rick Hendrick. So it's one of those of, I think, Bubba Wallace definitely has the talent, as Mike said, you know, right now is is in a in, in a spot where he's better than the equipment and whatever it takes to, to elevate the equipment. I know the pairing with RCR, and we've seen the fruits of that as that has developed, as well as just with throughout this season. Uh, we've definitely seen that improvement. So uh, I would like to see that continue. I, I've not been a fan of, of NASCAR as far back as the Richard Petty days, but to see that team, I, I love to see that iconic 43 still out there, Richard Petty still involved to the level he is. Mm-hmm. I know he's been through some struggles with the different ownership names of that team, you know, back from when it was Penny Enterprises. So I would like to see them be successful uh, in whatever combination it takes, because I think that's one of those that having that tradition and icon in the sport is huge. So I want to see them succeed no matter what or whatever it does take. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, I am going to kind of move on here to the next hot topic, though. Um, This weekend we saw two crew chiefs that were escorted off the premises uh, because of a pre-race inspection uh, violation uh, for an improperly mounted ballast uh, that was uh, issued to the number 32 of Corey LaJoy and the number 43 of Bubba Wallace. Uh, What's more is that uh, they were, uh, both crew chiefs were suspended for the race. Like I say, they were escorted off the premises, and the team was issued a 10-point driver and owner penalty as well. Now, the other part of this is that uh, there could be more penalties assessed uh, on the penalty report that comes out early this week. So that's going to be interesting. So, Jay, let's start with you on this one. Well, and we've seen this with even at the NASCAR level. I'm more familiar with it on the dirt side. This is, to me, one where, from the safety aspect, I think NASCAR does need to crack down on a little bit harder than what I've seen in the past. And, and if you don't know what the ballast, a ballast is, it's a weight, depending on the size of it, can be about the size of a brick. That comes off and goes to a car behind them or into the stands or anywhere else. I mean, that is a huge, huge safety factor, and I've unfortunately seen it firsthand at the dirt track, and like I said, we saw it uh, not real long ago, and I don't want to name anybody because I can't think of, I positively identify, but uh, saw it at the NASCAR level. Um, That's one that I think NASCAR needs to be extremely harsh with or focused on as far as the safety of, uh, you know, like I said, you're talking about a brick coming off of a car, possibly hitting somebody behind them getting into the stands or hitting somebody on pit road uh, can be extremely dangerous. Okay, Mike. Yeah, the uh, the incidents that Jay's thinking of, we had Denny Hamlin have a ballast come completely off of the car during right. the Coca-Cola 600, and then I believe it was the next week or the week after, Chase Briscoe had a ballast that was improperly secured and nearly came off of the car uh, shortly after the Denny Hamlin incident. I'm 100% with Jay on this one. Um, that is probably one of the biggest safety hazards uh, that is on the racetrack if one of those ballasts come out. We saw Ty Dillon hit a battery, not even a ballast brick, uh, but a battery, which is it's still made of lead, but it's not as dense and as solid as those tungsten or lead weight blocks, and it destroyed his race car. 
Uh, I think it knocked the oil cooler out from under it. It caused some significant suspension damage, and it ended Ty Dillon's race. Unfortunately, it was only damage to the race car. Those ballast bricks do have the mass that they could go through a windshield and really hurt a driver, or if not kill them, if it was to go through there. And if they go flying into, on a pit road or into the stands, who knows what could happen, and I definitely don't want to find out. I'm 100% with Jay on this one. Um, you know, I kind of talked about maybe NASCAR could be a little more lenient with Alex LeBay. This is one of those instances where there is no way that NASCAR can be too firm regarding making sure that teams are not playing around with the safety of installing and maintaining that balance in these race cars. Okay, so uh, you guys said it very well. Both of you, I agree with you. Uh, this is something that needs to have a very stiff penalty associated with it. So I guess the next question for the next round here is uh, what do you think they're going to do uh, with the penalty report that's going to come out early this week? Are they going to, What's going to be the further uh, penalty? So, Jay, we'll start with you. I'm, tr- I'm trying to think back of what the, the penalty was to Denny Hamlin, and I, that is who I had in mind. I'd forgotten about the Chase Briscoe uh, incident. With, uh, wasn't there it, a four-race suspension for Chase Briscoe for his crew chief? It's a four-race suspension for the crew chief and the car chief for the team. Oh, okay. Uh, that penalty was it was assessed to the 11 team as well as the 98 team. Um, so there is a, a precedent and a very clear rule citation behind that precedent uh, to back up that four-race suspension, not for the driver, but for the crew chief and the car chief for the next four races in that series. <clears throat> So are we going to, since this is the third one, so let me go back to the question. Since this is the third time that we're seeing this happen uh, between the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series, uh, what are your thoughts, Jay, on will they extend that or will they keep it at four races? This is one of those of, uh, especially with today's technology and the way things work, suspending the crew chief or the car chief, I really don't think sends the right message. And the, the 10 points, I know 10 points in today's point system is a lot. That is one where I can't say I would argue against a one-race suspension of the team. They'd still be eligible for the playoffs, if you will, but they are going to be back a race and sitting a team out for a race. And I know NASCAR's not high on that, um, but that's one of those that, again, coming from the dirt track background, you know, if you got to sit out a week, I think you ought to sit out, a, the team ought to sit out a week. I mean, that's how serious this is. Like I said, that is an extremely dangerous thing. Understand the sport's dangerous to begin with. You look at when they went to, with the, they had an issue with the wheels coming off. They have tethers to the wheels, the way they do the fuel tanks and, and strap them down, the hood straps. I mean, this, this, and that's something that isn't as solid, like, like Mike said. You know, you're talking about a solid brick. The battery, I understand you can't lock that down because you, you're replacing a battery, and we saw what happened when, when Dylan hit it. It did explode. Uh, a brick's not going to, and that, if that were to get into the cockpit of a car or into the stands, I just I shudder to think about. So, I mean, I truthfully, like I said, I wouldn't necessarily even argue against a one-race suspension for the team. Okay, Mike. 
this is one of those instances where I see where you're going with, you know, since we've had previous instances this season of other teams with this problem, um, I don't think the right move is to just cite those instances and make up a new harsher penalty for these teams. They do still need to follow what the rule book tells them to do. And the rule book very clearly lays out what the penalty is as it is currently written. Now I'm with Jay in that if they want to rewrite the rule book and strengthen that penalty and it's publicly published out there for these teams to abide by, you know, from this point on, any team that, that violates this section of the rule book will be penalized as such. That's fine. But I think it's kind of a dangerous thing to do from a, you know, a precedent standpoint to just make up a harsher penalty for a different team that is not a repeat offender with this incident. Uh, just make up a harsher penalty for them on the spot like that. I think they still need to follow the rule book as it's currently written. But here's what we don't know, uh, Mike. We don't know if NASCAR has already done that through the team meetings that they have with these teams. I would think that after it happened in the Xfinity Series and after it happened with Denny Hamlin, that they probably would have had that conversation with the drivers at some of the driver meetings just how dangerous this is. I would think the drivers and all these crew members would know just how dangerous that is. Um, but uh, I do think, you know, if I think about taking the 10 points away, 10 points off of these guys' um, points isn't going to be real huge, I don't think. Right now, Bubba Wallace is 22nd in the points. Um it says on on the recent report that came out, it says they're at 448 points. I'm sorry, 447 points. He's one point behind Chris Buescher, uh, one point ahead of Christopher Bell. Um, Ten points is going to move him slightly in that point standings, but it's not going to have an impact on the playoffs or anything else. Uh, Corey LaJoy is even further back. He's 29th in the points. Uh, the guy ahead of him is Matt Kenseth at 529, Corey LaJoy is at 552, and Ryan Priest, the driver behind him, is at 587. It, have, it has even le- less of an impact, uh, those 10 points there. Uh, I don't think assessing the points is going to be a huge deal for these guys. Um, the four-race suspension is is a pretty heavy deal, but I, I will say Jay brings up a good point. It's not that big of a deal when you consider the technology. We saw Chad Canales, uh stay at home and and uh, communicate with, um, I forget the guy who was on top of the, uh, Keith Rodden, was it? That was, uh, I believe so, yes. Yeah, Keith Rodden. Uh, we saw that happening. So we know that that happens uh, when these crew chiefs and car chiefs are sent home. We saw Richard Childress Racing's command center and how they can communicate with each other. So that's not that big of a uh, penalty either. I do think they need to come up with a stiffer penalty. Um, And I know it's just one incident for the Xfinity Series, one incident for the Cup Series. But I think with this incident, NASCAR, if they haven't already done so, so they do need to make it abundantly clear that this is not acceptable and just how dangerous it is. But, again, I can't imagine that these people don't already know that. (laughs) 
So follow up. With with that, now, well, Mike Mike is right. Mike is right. If they haven't already said, "Hey, this rule is going to be enforced with a stiffer penalty," I I, I, I agree with him there. And when I said what I said, it was going forward. Obviously, just because two other teams, one in the Xfinity, a different one in the Cup, had that penalty, you can't say, "Okay, this is a repeat thing," because it's not the same team. So I do agree with that, but I do think it needs to happen now moving forward not at the end of the year in hopes that something doesn't happen between now and then and i know that nascar has when it comes to safety implemented things immediately um like i said with the penalty for these Mm -hmm. two particular teams no i don't think they should be hit with a new penalty they're making up on the spot um but i do think it needs to be put in there now and moving forward um for the reason of safety Okay, Mike. With regard to the technology, I mean, there's ways that they can make that suspension a little bit more meaningful as well. Instead of saying they can't come to the racetrack, tell them they have to come to the racetrack, and they have to sit in this room right here that has one TV broadcasting the, uh, the whatever network is covering the race. There's no telephone. There's no Internet. You can't bring your own phone in there. And if you're caught trying to communicate with the team in any sort of way, you know, flashing, flashing signs out the window or anything – you're suspended again for the next race. You know, whatever, you know, sitting that race suspension doesn't count. You get another suspension added on to that. I think that would be a way to make suspensions a little bit more meaningful and inhibit, like you said, that kind of cross-bridge communication that is capable with these teams between, you know, telephone, internet, the command centers, et cetera, um, putting a little bit more teeth behind the suspension and actually taking that individual completely out of the game, uh, I think might be something that they can look to as well. I wouldn't even give them the TV. <laughs> I'd, I'd put them in a room with no windows, no TV, and let them just sit there and talk to each other for however long the race is. Here's, here's the thing, and I know this goes back to, I think it was when uh, Tony or Jr. was still with Dale Earnhardt Jr. that this got talked about. Yeah, you could do that, but even if it's a four-week suspension, that car chief and crew chief are still working with the team then throughout the week, okay? They're still the ones setting up the Mm -hmm. car. And, you know, again, with you take the depth of, say, just Joe Gibbs' organization, when they do have a crew chief suspension, they got the depth to put somebody else on the box and to call the race. So that's where I say the penalty isn't really taking effect. Uh, you, You don't let them race, you know, that affects them. You know, and as Sharon said, okay, if it's 10 points, make it 60. If you're going to penalize them points, make it 50 or 60. That's equivalent to a whole race. So that puts them back that whole race. If you're not going to suspend them, make the points at least value to a race. You know, if and I know NASCAR is built on sponsorship and everything else. So, again, if you're not going to make them sit out a week, at least make the points worth a race that it hurts them that bad. Uh, yeah. yeah, I just feel like the penalties – haven't been in line with what the the issue is, and in this case, it's it's safety, and that's huge. <laughs> so NASCAR really needs to look at making these penalties uh, be more significant to the teams. Okay, any other follow up? Okay, Mike, let's move on to you for the next topic. Okay, we went from some bad news. I've got some good news for you here. Um, JSK okay. is reporting that 
health officials has done some contact tracing uh, in Tennessee following the Bristol All-Star Race, and they've identified no clusters or any kind of increased uh, COVID infection as a result of fans who are in attendance at that race. Now, we saw some behavior from those fans that was kind of against what they were supposed to be doing, namely gathering in large groups at the, uh, at the fence following the end of the race, kind of high-fiving Chase Elliott, stuff like that. Um, but fortunately, um, it's, some, it's some solid data that points to the fact that, hey, maybe we can safely bring more of these fans back into races, get the fans into the stands, and make NASCAR more of a fan-participating sport throughout the rest of the year. Okay, Jay. Uh, I'm not sure how to go about this. I'll just put that numbers can be skewed. I don't uh, – I'll, t- I'll tell you a story, and this was somebody from the dirt track where I just uh, – I work at on the weekends, Jackson Motor Speedway, um, told a story of somebody that had gone in to get the COVID-19 test done. I was told they had to wait 40 minutes. They didn't want to wait, so they left. Two weeks later, they got a report or a thing in the mail that said their test came back positive and those numbers are being used to, to publish certain numbers. They didn't even have the test taken because they refused to wait on it, but yet it got posted as a positive test. So I know firsthand that these numbers and what's going on isn't truly accurate, so I, I don't put a whole lot of stock in the published numbers, good or bad. You know, that one happens to be a good one. Um, as they say in politics, you, you give me somebody that will put out a report saying good on this, Somebody else will have one that says bad on this for the same exact thing. So it's all about who's wanting to use what numbers and how they use them. Yeah, I I tend to agree with that. I think that um, there's been a lot of instances. uh, I know there's been reports of uh, all kinds of reports. I'm not going to get into some of the bogus things that I've heard that are going on, but uh, it's similar to what Jay is talking about. So I, I think that what's happened here is that there's been conversation about how the fans were gathering at some of these sites. NASCAR wants to, um, and, and everybody, Bristol, everybody, wants to make sure that that doesn't get carried away uh, and and kind of negate the idea of fans coming to into the sport. We see what's happening with baseball. We see what's happening uh, in basketball, football, uh, across a lot of these other things, uh, other sports venues. Uh, I really think that, uh, and and I'll tell you what, if if I was a person that tested positive for COVID-19, the last thing I'd want to do is say I was at a NASCAR race (laughs) because I know what the consequences for that's going to be, even though it might affect other people that were at that race. Um, And for me, it might be hard to say that, but I would be more, actually I would be more concerned about the other people that I may have infected by being at that race. But a lot of these folks probably wouldn't say that. So it's really important (laughs) to kind of see the bigger picture here, I think, in in this situation. I do see this. It it sounds like a positive thing on the surface, but unfortunately I'm with Jay. I, I look at it with some skepticism. 
So, Mike, that's oh, you great. guys are right. Yes, you know, yes. Now, stuff like this is it definitely needs to have a whole shaker of salt taken with it, but perception in a lot of ways drives reality. Right. So, even if the data is let's say massaged. Well, now the perception, at least, that NASCAR is able to put out there is, yeah, our events are safe. They are not a major contributing factor to these, uh, these infection clusters or whatever you want to call them. So whether it's based on real numbers or not, that's always up for a matter of debate. But if nothing else, NASCAR is in front of the perception and narrative on it and hopefully it can benefit the sport moving forward if it can be done so in a safe way that continues to benefit the sport. Follow-up, Jay? Yeah, I just don't see where, in reading it, you're right, it does sound like a positive, but, you know, if you really truly think about it, of even if somebody came out of there and tested positive, how can they pinpoint exactly that they contracted it uh, at Bristol? Or what about well, the ones that it doesn't... Well, they have to give a trail list. What I'm saying is I go to Bristol, and I don't know, Sharon, here, if you want to hit the time mark or not, uh, if you need to interrupt me, go ahead. Yeah, let me but... go ahead and do that. Let me go ahead and okay, do Okay, okay, go ahead. Okay, we are approaching the uh, 1030 mark of our show, that, and what happens is we do go off the air at exactly 1030 p.m. Eastern time. However, we continue recording the rest of the conversation so fans who listen to our podcast uh, can hear the rest of that conversation on that podcast. If you've listened up to this point, all you have to do is fast forward to the two-hour mark when the podcast becomes available. And I do go out on Twitter to let people know when we finish the show and when that podcast is available. So you go to the two-hour mark, and then you can hear the rest of the conversation on that podcast. So um, podcast listeners are going to be able to listen straight through. Uh, but there's always uh, some interesting conversation during this bonus overtime period, so I highly recommend people uh, listen to that overtime material. So, uh, uh, Jay, go ahead. Okay. Um, I was saying, I go, I go to Bristol. The following week, I come out and I feel like I got the symptoms or whatever. I get tested for whatever reason. It comes back positive. How do you say it came from Bristol? Jimmy Johnson didn't have any of the symptoms, whatever, when he got tested, it showed him as positive. You can't pinpoint when you contract, uh, contracted it unless you get tested prior to going into Bristol. And I'm using Bristol just because that was the example that was given. But unless you get tested going in and then you get tested going out and for a while after that to be able to say, hey, this is where I got it. You know, you can speculate mm-hmm. or put numbers to it. Like I said, whoever's on whatever side, they're going to use numbers to their advantage um, just as they as they have with anything else. So I don't – the one thing, and I know, like Mike said, it, it was a positive thing, but the one thing I don't want to see is places that are opening back up, and this goes for anything, whether it be dirt track or anything that I go to, where they open wide back up because they said, hey, we had one and nobody got it. We're going to open it wide open. And then all of a sudden something happens either, you know. So right now we're still in kind of a tough situation, unfortunately. Um, you know, and I know whether or not you agree with the wearing mask things. Uh, you know, we got that going on in, in cities, uh, different cities uh, that we're, we're dealing with. Um, 
it's a tough situation, and unfortunately, it's one that I, I don't have the answers, so I got to go with you know what's what's being told. If they tell me to wear a mask, got to wear a mask. If I want to go in there, I got to wear a mask. You know, so but I I just don't, and I'm not trying to be negative because again, I don't agree with all the ones that are saying oh it's this bad because I'm like I know you're publishing wrong numbers too. So I see both sides of it using it, like I said, to their advantage and just how they're presenting those numbers. Okay. Um, to address uh, Jay's point, uh, I do think that that uh, when you if you test positive for COVID, I think that one of the questions they ask you is where you've been over the last 14 days because the incubation period is that 14-day period. Uh, and probably the closer you are 14 days out, the, the more likely uh, it is because I don't think it's something you, you are exposed to today and you get tomorrow. Um, so I think that that's part of the monitoring when you go in to get is if you're tested positive. That's part of what follows is that conversation. Um, the second thing is that I want to I make sure that I point out um, that NASCAR, I think, has taken the lead role, and I brought this up earlier in the show. I do have to give them kudos um, for uh, putting on the races and doing everything they can to make sure that racing continues and that the sport continues uh, throughout the COVID pandemic. Um, we have seen uh, spikes uh, in those areas where places have opened up prematurely and then they get spikes afterwards because people uh, are going out with a confidence uh, maybe that's maybe unfounded. So I, I do think that NASCAR has led the way for how it should be done, and they've done a pretty good job of keeping the drivers and everybody uh, safe. Uh, throughout this COVID pandemic. So I hope they do keep it up, but I do think there needs to be uh, maybe an abundance of caution when it comes to bringing the fans in because, as we pointed out on the show, we have seen fans kind of go against the protocol that's been put in place when they gather at the fence at the end of a race to, to see their driver or during that red flag when drivers were coming up to the fence uh, to see drivers. So uh, it's, it's just, so far I think they've done a fairly decent job. Uh, it's maybe not perfect, but I think they've done a decent job, and I think they should get kudos for it because we are seeing so many other sports uh, running into issues, and, and those issues are part of the reason why they need to stay vigilant. So uh, any other follow-ups, Mike? No, that's about it. Obviously, it's going to be developing for the remainder of the season. Hopefully, it kind of blows over for the most part by the beginning of next season. But there's a very real possibility that this should still be going on uh, coming up in, in February and beyond. I mean, we all thought it was going to be over and done with by the middle of summer, and here we are. Um, mm -hmm. So hopefully this can continue to move in the right direction, but uh, who knows? It's hard to say. It definitely is. Uh, Jay, your next topic. I actually didn't uh, didn't have any others for tonight. I don't, let me look down. Uh, actually, I kind of kind of did. We're getting to closer to the uh, to the cutoff here. 
uh, what did we say, seven races left in the Cup Series, two in the trucks, and I don't remember in the Xfinity, but uh, speaking specifically to the Cup, uh, as we've seen as of late anyway and throughout the year, Ben Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin, strongest. Keselowski now picked up his third win. we got a couple with a pair. Who, who are you thinking looking at as far as the final four? If you had to pick from who's run the best so far this year. Okay, Mike. Uh, I know Jay's going to kind of accuse me of being a homer on this one, but I've got to go with Chase Elliott on that. Um, he's been a little bit weaker over the past <laughs> couple months than he was uh, prior to that. But especially in the first half to third of the, or two thirds of the season, or at least the regular season, uh, the nine car was one of those cars that was consistently up front. He's still running top tens, but you know, up until a couple of weeks ago, it was consistently top fives. Um, it's kind of typical for Hendrick Motorsports to take the summer off a little bit in terms of performance and then come back strong in the playoffs. So with as strong as the nine car was in the beginning half of the season, I think that probably Chase Elliott in the nine team would be my next. Uh, pick as far as rounding out that final four for Phoenix, at least based on what we've seen so far. Okay. Well, the top three, I think, are pretty evident at this point uh, with it being Denny Hamlin, uh, Kevin Harvick, and I would put Brad Keselowski into that top three at this point. Uh, The next one, Ryan, I could certainly make a case for Brian Blaney as well. Uh, I think Ryan Blaney has been consistently running up at the top and contending uh, in that top group. But uh, there's also Joey Logano uh, that I would have to kind of throw into this mix. And by virtue of the fact that he's got two and by virtue of the fact that he has more experience, I would probably have to give the edge to Joey Logano um, going into that final four. But I think, you know, another possibility there is certainly Ryan Blaney being a part of that group at, at uh, the finale. My, uh, Jay. Well, and, and I certainly wouldn't uh, wouldn't argue with you there on Chase Elliott. You're right. He has kind of uh, maybe uh, fallen off a little bit here, but throughout the year has been right up there. Brad, I don't know that I would have put him into the final four until as of here recent, we see him coming on strong at the right time and stacking up those playoff points, which we know can actually carry you, even if you do have a little bit of a rough outing. So my other one that that I would have made the case for based on that same reasoning would, would have been Ryan Blaney. So strong at the beginning of the year, come back from the COVID, maybe a little bit off, but seemed to have come back and was back up to the same level. Uh, and then she mentioned Joey Logano. So let, we'll take Team Penske out of it. I look at Stuart Haas racing. I know he's not winning races, which could be very vital, especially come through these playoffs. But just the solid consistency, even to get into the, t- the final four, which I, normally I would say you've got to win to move on. But Eric Almarola could be one that we may see coming in there without a win um, and being a contender. I don't know that being that he's not winning, um, can compete, especially, again, getting to that final race at Phoenix with these other guys that have this, the playoff points built up if they need them, that he doesn't have that. But just strength of consistency week in and week out, that number 10 team I, I really think is getting overlooked. And that's a good point. Mike? 
Yeah, Eric Almirola and the 10 team, they're sitting on a string of nine consecutive top 10 or better finishes, which is better than anybody else in the entire series can brag about right now, including the guys who've been winning races. So Jay's right. They haven't been winning, um, but it's hard to ignore the improvement that that 10 team has had over the past two months or so. Jay also brings up a really good point of concern for the 10 team, though, is they have a lack of playoff points. I think he's won two or three stages, which doesn't even equate mm-hmm. to one win worth of playoff points to carry on to the postseason. And we've seen year after year. Yeah, so that's two playoff points. Uh, and we've seen year after year where you've got two to even three drivers who basically just need to show up every week, uh, and they're going to be able to cruise along to what is now Phoenix, but was Homestead. Um, you know, you look at Martin Truex in 2017, um, Joey Logano in 2018, and Kyle Busch in 2019. All of those teams had such a big uh, margin of playoff points, it afforded them a room for error that the 10 team and Eric Almirola just is not going to have. Uh, even if he starts winning races now, he's so far behind in terms of those playoff points, it's going to be a pretty big deficit for him to overcome every single round of the playoffs. Okay. Um, Jay, any follow-up? No, and and that's not discounting anybody else uh, that might come up and get strong in these last couple of races. I know we've got a couple of wild card races coming up uh, that we talked about, a doubleheader at Dover, Daytona, both on the road course, whatever they're going to call it, the new Roval or second coming of the Roval, um, <laughs> as well as then the finale, which will be on the Super Speedway, which I think is going to be interesting, but I don't think that's going to affect the final four, which that's really what I was looking at. And I, we got, and, and I'm not a hundred percent sold on Brad Keselowski being the third, uh, other than like you mentioned, the playoff points that he can ride at least um, as a security net. We'll we'll have to see how this momentum uh, maintains, but that four spot really is kind of wide open. You know, mentioned Chase Elliott and. Joe Logano and Ryan Blaney, who have won races, got a couple, and I throw Matt Benedetto in there because, again, he's having some solid – his needs to be a little bit more consistent uh, week in and week out as Eric Almirola's, but he's another one that at least staying consistent and not having that bump, but then you're going to need that win because you don't have the playoff points to fall back on. Yeah, I think, you know, if we if we look a little bit deeper – uh, there are some other possibilities. They don't have the playoff points, but if they get on a roll, we talked about momentum. Uh, how long can some of these drivers carry the momentum that they've carried uh, so far into the season, and specifically Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin? Um, they, they've been so strong all season long, and uh, can they carry that momentum? So I think we could be in for some surprises. Uh, their playoff points will carry them so far and could get them into the to the uh, um, uh, round of four. But there's also some other drivers, and, and we've seen Tony Stewart do this. I remember Tony Stewart clearly saying, we don't deserve to be in the playoffs. And then he went off and won five of ten playoff races. So there is a possibility of something like that happening with even somebody like a Martin Truex Jr., a Kyle Busch, or even a Kurt Busch uh, could do something like that. So I I think that there's 
there's uh, some possibilities there uh, for some surprises uh, before the playoffs begin as well, and maybe even after the playoffs begin. Um, but uh, it's going to be interesting, uh, and that's what makes it so fun to watch. <laughs> so, Mike, what's your follow-up? That's about all I've got on it. Like you said, there's a few wild cards that are still out there and a lot more racing left to do, including once we get into the playoffs. Um, there could be a whole, you know, a completely different complexion to the season in just a month ago, looking at the different variety of races that we've got coming up. Um, so we've got a real interesting stretch coming up prior to the playoffs, and I look forward to watching it. I agree. I agree. Um, let's see. Did I have any other hot topic? No, Jay, I think it's your turn. And actually, I brought that one up. Oh, that's the one you brought up. Okay, did you have any other follow-up then? Maybe I shorted you on the follow-up. Well, the, the the one interesting one I think that you brought up there is Martin Truex because we know that he is a generally a multi-time winner. He only has one this year. But, again, I think we've seen them kind of uh, step up their game and at least be running top five again consistently week in and week out. So that is one that didn't get mentioned uh I know he's kind of one of your favorites to pick week in and week out, Sharon, but <laughs> certainly could be that one that we weren't expecting that gets hot at the right time. Yeah, that's what I'm waiting to see is who's going to get hot at the right time, and especially heading into the playoffs. And to- I have Tony Stewart to thank for that because <laughs> I know it can happen. Okay. Um, let me look and see if there's any other topics that I had on my list here. The other topics that I had are kind of related to some of the things that we've already talked about. They're still questioning whether or not there'll be fans at Darlington. Um, at this point, I would err on the side of caution uh, especially with spikes uh, arising. I know NASCAR is going to look at it and make the right decision. So I don't think there's a whole lot to really say there uh, that we haven't already said. So I think I'm done as well. Mike, did you have anything else? That's all I've got. We only had one real race to talk about since our last show, so here we are. Yep. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and call it tonight and do our roundtable. We'll start with you, Mike. All right, it's Mike Orzel on Facebook, Mike underscore Orzel on Twitter. Um, no racetrack appearances planned so far. Still working on my uh, my wordsmith of a race car, uh, and that's about it for me. Okay, Jay. Well, once again this weekend, well, I'll start with, uh, you can follow me on um, Facebook at Michael Hoosman. Mopar MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. Going to be returning to Jackson Motor Speedway, your capital city raceway. Going to be a double feature night, as unfortunately we didn't make it through the whole program this last weekend. Got a little uh, precipitation. Not fun, but that just means next weekend you get double feature weekend. So might not not hear a whole lot from me throughout the week. I got to rest up my voice because I'm going to have to do two programs. Okay, and I apologize for that, Jay. Um, but uh, oh no, no, I didn't know that was no. I, that was that was my pleasure. I was just saying because I'm gonna have to do two on Saturday. Oh, okay, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> okay, so 
Uh, we did ask Jay to uh, step in at the last minute here tonight, and I do want to say thank you to Jay uh, for doing that and uh, co-hosting tonight. We will be back on air this Thursday night uh, for the preview show of the uh, Michigan races as well as the Xfinity Series race at Road America. Uh, so we've got the Arca Menard Series racing at Michigan, a doubleheader for the Cup Series, as well as um, the Truck Series at Michigan, and then that road course race at uh, Road America. I think it's going to be a fun weekend of racing. I'm going to try my best to be available for as many of those races as uh, possible. But uh, for whatever reason, my house seems to be the drop-in location, and I never know who's going to stop by. So I apologize for that. Um, I do usually get a chance to watch those races. Uh, my my uh, DVR is set up to record anything that has the word NASCAR associated with it or the word ARCA associated with it. So I can usually go back and, and catch those races uh, and make sure that I see the action that takes place. But definitely looking forward to the weekend of racing. Uh, and to our preview show on Thursday night, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio elsewhere, including our website, fanforracing.com. We had a couple of articles uh, posted today, uh, the ARCA review of the doubleheader, and then also the uh, uh, Andy put out his Hot Topic article. He did tell me today he's got another Hot Topic article coming out for this weekend that he's already working on, and uh, you can watch for that coming out as well. Uh, and then uh, we missed uh, Owen's Hot uh, not Hot Topics, but his uh, power ranking. He got it in a little bit late. And, again, the weekends are so busy for me that I did not get it posted. Uh, I'm hoping he can get that into us a little bit earlier this week so that we can get it posted for everybody uh, heading into Michigan this weekend. So um, look for that to be coming out as well. So with that, uh, I want to do a big shout-out to our listeners. We appreciate everybody for tuning in, and uh, we'll look forward to – uh, the uh, preview show on Thursday and the weekend of racing that's coming up. So with that, guys, I think we're ready to call it a wrap. All right. Good night. Talk to you Thursday. Good night, everybody.